As you remain standing for the reading of God's Word, I'd invite you to open the Word of God to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 3, and Paul had given warnings against false teachings, and he gave evidences of true teachings in this chapter. Uh, In addition, he gave a personal example of what he could claim, but what he did not claim as far as uh, accolades or things that could have made him uh, righteous, so to speak. In addition to that, not only did he give this uh, personal example, but he also pointed out where our trust should be, where our faith is, and that we have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in the person of Jesus Christ, that and that alone. He then points to the goal of every believer, which is Jesus. That ought to be the goal of every believer. Next, he reveals the idea of spiritual maturity, and last week we looked at this in the idea of uh, uh, maturity, uh, perfection is the word that is often used, or complete. He lets us know that being spiritually mature ought to be the the pursuit of every born-again believer of God. Now, he gets into two types of folks And this is one of those uh, messages that I was excited to preach. But can your pastor be honest for a moment? I do not come to this lightly. My heart is heavy today because of the great responsibility that the Lord has placed upon my shoulders to preach His Word His way, not my way. So I beg for your prayers as I preach this morning. Let's take a look in Philippians chapter number 3, and we'll start our reading in verse number 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things, unto himself. Would you read with me verse 20? For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, I come before you recognizing who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. And may I never forget whose presence I enter when I come into the throne room of grace and mercy. But Father, I also thank You that not only are You Lord, but You're my Daddy. You give to me the ability to climb up into Your lap and call You Abba, 
what's being interpreted as daddy. So Father, I ask that you would do something in our hearts and in our lives this morning. That you would hide me behind your cross. That you would hide me behind the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That I may speak, Father, not my own words, but yours. Not my own thoughts. Father, that I would simply expose your word. And that if anybody be seen today, dear Lord, I pray that it would be your son, Jesus Christ. Not me. For I am nothing and you are everything. It's in your Son's name I do pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, uh, there's, there are many questions today over how the church is to respond to certain issues or certain things that are taking place in and around our society today. There are questions that come into play as far as how should I react or should I react, should I embrace, should I reject. And you know, we've had a lot going on today in, uh, uh, in the recent uh, past of our, our society, our culture, our nation. You know, we, we've had the whole COVID-19 epidemic and uh, we've, we've had a lot of things come, a lot of information come to us that when it first started out, we were told that we were not supposed to touch uh, a package when it was delivered. If you, get a, if you get a package delivered, let it sit on your porch for two days, and as long as it's still there and no one decided to steal it off your porch, then you can open it and uh, make sure that you let it sit there because everything needs to die off and it'll take a couple days then shortly after that they said nope it's fine it's not going to take a couple days you can go ahead and open it whenever you want uh, we've had people say that you should wear masks and and uh, the only way to prevent this is by wearing masks we've had other people say no you should not wear masks and, and you've had we've had a lot of information passing forth and we've seen uh, many things in the media as far as uh, folks getting ragingly upset at folks. There was a story not too long ago about a, a man who went to the grocery store and, and he could not wear a mask because of uh, the uh, physical issues that he ha- happened to be going through. And he even had a doctor's note saying that he could not. And people were about to beat him up simply because he would not put the mask on. And we see all these heightened emotions and all these uh, uh, situations arising uh, out of this. We see a lot of uh, uh, argumentation between uh, one side of a camp or another side, and they're, they're vehement with one another. Then, to add uh, salt to the wound, you had the sad death of George Floyd. Now, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Any death is sad, no matter what side of the argument you find yourself on. This is a life that was snuffed out. Now, regardless of a social positioning, death is always sad. Because of this death, we had a lot of talk about uh, race relations. There was a lot of rioting that ensued. Many of our law enforcement public servants were beaten and attacked. In, in the midst of all this, the, the continued discussion of equality in the world has tried to redefine uh, different terms. They have tried redefining marriage. They have tried redefining gender. 
You, you've had a lot of these different things going on. The question comes out, why is a lot of this happening? And I've tried to address that little by little as we've gone through this book. But whenever there is a lack of truth being proclaimed, chaos will ensue. We have to have the, uh, the, the understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And in order for us to do that, we have to go to the only place that can be reliable, and that is the Scripture of the living God. Many preachers have stopped preaching truth because of itching ears. Many people, many preachers have stopped preaching truth, maybe because, uh, not because the people in the pew have itching ears. Maybe it's because they want to be patted on the back and be told, good sermon, good job. We really like to hear what you have to say a whole lot better than what that hard-nosed fellow down the street has to say. A lot of truth has stopped being proclaimed. Now, understand something. Whenever we remove authority or truth, these things will happen to go, uh, go awry. So before we get mad at the world for neglecting the authority of God's word, maybe we ought to take a look inside. And I made a comment one time uh, uh, that a lot of people get upset because the Ten Commandments was removed from the, uh, the local courthouse. Can I ask you, is it in your home? So before we get upset at what we expect the world to do, we need to turn that look inward and examine what are we doing? How are we living? Churches have neglected truth for numbers over, rather than, and, and comfort rather than truth. They have forgotten that this world needs not more acceptance, but this world needs Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. So before we get upset at the world, let's take a long, hard look at ourselves and let's examine what it is that we have to say honestly. Well, I want to take a look, if you would, in verses 18 and 19 because there's some sad truth that is given to us in this. And I hope by God's grace to be able to answer the question today, how should the church respond to these social issues and everything that's going on in society today. Because the question automatically comes, do I join? Do I argue with? Do I accept? Do I fight? And I want to give to you the heartbeat, I believe, of Paul, which would be the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. Because he himself said in the previous chapter, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 18 with me, if you would. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Paul urges the Philippians here to follow him as, uh, as he follows Christ and to follow others. You find that back in verse 17 where he says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which uh, walk so as ye have uh, us for an example. In other words, this is the direction that we're trying to go. I'm making my way toward Christ. Paul did not say, I'm perfect to do what I do. As a matter of fact, if you were to read this passage in its entirety, you would find where he says, not that I speak as though I've already attained, but this one thing I do, pressing toward. 
And so he had his, he had his direction set to becoming more and more like Christ. And I had a young man talk to me one time. He says, Pastor, he says, I'll be honest with you. I was nervous to tell you about the decision that I made because I wasn't sure if you were going to, uh, if you were going to say it was the right one or not. And I asked him, I said, well, what was your reasoning for this? I said, did you do this for this reason or that reason or this reason? No. I said, well, why did you make this decision? He said, because I thought it was holding me back from Jesus and I wanted my relationship to be stronger with him. <laughs> I said, well, good for you. Move toward Christ. And a move toward Christ is never wrong. Here we have the Apostle Paul, and he says, uh, he says to, to follow the way I'm going because of the focus of their lives being in contrast here uh, uh, he, with those of this world. He says, follow us. Why? Because there are many of whom I've told you often and now even uh, tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I want you to notice the, ty- the, the people, the type of people that he is, uh, he is referencing in this passage. He, he goes on to explain this type of person. He says right there in verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. We'll get back to the end of uh, end being destruction here in just a moment, but I want to take a notice here. Uh, what, whatever it is that a person hungers for is their God. Mark it down. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, whose God is their belly. Many, uh, will, uh, many commentators will say that, well, what he's saying is that this is some sort of uh, sensual. He's talking about the lower portions and sensual type of a, uh, a type of a hunger. But that's not really all that it's talking about. He says their belly, in other words, their appetite. What it is that they want out of life more than anything. What it is that they hunger for, they strive for, their goal, that's their God. There are many people today who, whose, whose God is their, is their hunger, their fleshly desire. Many people desire wealth, and they pursue wealth at all costs. That is their God. Many people desire fame or popularity. And that is their desire. That is their goal. And you can tell it by maybe what, they, uh, what they're posting on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter or wherever. They, and, and they're, oh, I get this many likes. I got that many followers. And, and, and if you're on Facebook, I have 4,723 friends. I don't have that many phone numbers in my contacts. I mean, where you got that many friends? Yeah, what's the last thing you did with them? Well, I've never really seen this guy. That's a good friend. Did he call you on your birthday? But I got a lot of friends. Many people, they, 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 they pursue popularity. Many people pursue power, control. That is their desire. I, I have to be in control of this situation. If I'm not in control of the situation, it, it's not going to go the way I want it to go. And I have to be the one to make the decision. I have to be the one in charge. And, and I can't leave it up to my husband. I can't leave it up to my wife. I can't leave it up to my kids. I can't leave it up to the pastor. I can't leave. I got to be the one in control. Step aside. Let me drive. Right? Many people control is their God. What else does he tell what else is an example of this? Maybe position. Happiness. Happiness can be a God. Did you know that? You know, there's a lot of people that pursue happiness over truth. They pursue happiness over Christ. Well, go, well, wait a minute, preacher. I wouldn't preach what you're getting ready to preach because that's going to make some people unhappy. And if they're unhappy, I'm going to be unhappy. 
And all God's children ought to be happy. <laughs> Listen, God wants us to grow up. God's first priority for you is not, let's make them smile. Maturity. He wants us to grow up. Many people, they want adoration. For many people, their God is pride in what they do or who they are. For many people, their God is acceptance. Well, I can't say that. I can't take a stance for that because I won't be accepted. Their God is their belly. Understand something. Anything, anything that takes a front seat to Jesus Christ is an idol. Now, we're quick to be able to point things out. Well, you know, so-and-so, all, all they do is they just play sports, 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 and, and they skip church because they want to go to take care of it. And we're quick to point that kind of stuff out. Well, that sport has become their idol. Did you know that for some people, church has become an idol? <laughs> That's one of those moments, Jeff, you can hear a cotton ball drop three doors down. <laughs> Did you know that for some people, being known or seen as a good, upstanding Christian is an idol. We've got to be careful about what we place ahead of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to be a good, godly husband. I want to be a good, godly father. Did you know that that can become an idol? Well, I'm putting my family first, Pastor. And the family came before church. I didn't talk about church. I said God. And God was before the family. Let's take a look at a couple other things in this. There was a young man that I was talking to his father not too long ago. And he kind of found himself out on a limb with a lot of his friends. They had taken a certain position, a certain stance. He said, that's wrong. And he got placed in a very precarious position where he decided to defend what was right. And a lot of his friends were beaten up on him. A lot of his so-called Christian friends were beaten up on him for taking a stance on the Bible. Praise God that he took a stance. But I want you to notice not only what their God is, that their God is their belly, that their God is their... Uh, maybe their, their political stance or maybe their family or their class or whatever it may be. I want you to notice their attitude in this. Look at it in verse 19 again. It says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Whose glory is in their shame. Rather than feeling shame, the individuals Paul's talking about here they feel a sense of pride. They feel a sense of pride in what they do or maybe just what they accept. Well, I don't do that, but I'm okay with it. Uh, let's take a look, if you would, please. Go back to Romans chapter 1 with me. Keep your hand in Philippians and just flip back to Romans chapter number 1. And let's see what... The Word of God has to say about that. 
If you look at Romans chapter number 1, we're going to notice that the, uh, rather than the feeling the shame, they feel pride in their acceptance of the worldly or the fleshly or selfish desires. And, and their mind is focused now, get this, their mind is focused on the visible over the invisible. Their mind is geared toward the physical rather than the spiritual. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter number 1 with me. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Now let's skip down for just a little bit, jump to verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pause for station identification before we go any further into this chapter. Do you see what has happened? They have taken their eyes off the one who made and placed it on what he has made. This is a dangerous ground for anyone, let alone the child of God. This is a dangerous ground when we place man's opinions or man's thoughts or mankind above the word of God, above what God himself has said. Understand something. The Bible says that he has elevated his word above his name. Do you realize this? God said, my word shall stand forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will endure forever. Why do we place heaven and earth above his word? Here we have in verses 24 and 25 an example of what, ha- what takes place. You drive down the road and you'll see, uh, uh, you'll see the bumper stickers, you'll see the signs and save this, dr- save this and save that and let's uh, protect this baby seal and this rhino and this, that and the other. Do they have the same idea over human life? They have become worshipers of the creation rather than the creator. Notice what else he points out here in Romans chapter number 1. Look at 26 with me. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the the, uh, the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and received in themselves the recompense for uh, for their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things uh, which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, dis- uh, uh, despiteful, proud. Let that one sink in for a minute. Boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. All right, let's just stop again for station identification. Disobedient to parents is in the same category as witchcraft. So kids, mark it down. Watch yourself. I don't care. They don't know what they're talking about. If only they were as smart as me. 
I know how to work a cell phone. Well, praise Jesus. Look at, uh, look at the next verse here. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Catch this. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Rather than feeling shame, they feel a sense of pride nodding at sin. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about over here in the book of Philippians. He says, you've got to understand what is being said and what is taking place. These folks are not uh, feeling a sense of pride over anything other than sin. He points it out there. He says, not only are they okay to do them, but they're happy that other people are doing them. Well, preacher, I, 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 I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that lifestyle, but I'm okay with other people doing it. Stop. Either it's wrong or it's not. And if it's wrong, it doesn't matter who we are. It's still wrong. Coming back to Philippians, I want you to notice something else that this uh, passage says about these folks. And I'm I'm trying to drive a point home, so please don't fall asleep yet. I'll let you know when you can go to sleep. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. I, I want you to understand what it means when it says who mind earthly things. Does that mean I don't care about my wife and my children? I don't care about making money to bring, you know, bring a, a food home? I don't care about... I'm not worried about any of that, Pastor. I don't care because I don't mind earthly... That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says that we are supposed to care for those who have been placed in our charge. The Bible lets us know that this is what we're supposed to do. As a husband, I'm supposed to love my wife. As a father, I'm supposed to uh, guide and teach my children. He's not talking about that. But when those earthly things are the only thing that I am looking at, and I choose them over him, I've got things out of whack. Well, I, I, I have to make a living. Yes, you do. I have to be a good husband. Yes, you do. I have to be a good father. Yes, you do. But why? Why? Because Jesus would. And my goal is not being a good husband. My goal is not being a good father. My goal is being more like Christ. And that just kind of happens naturally. And so the goal is Jesus. Always moving toward Jesus. But look what it says about these folks in verse 18. There at the very end of verse 18, it says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you realize that the cross of Christ is in direct opposition to any self-indulgent lusts, pride, 
or idolatry. The cross of Jesus Christ is in direct opposition. Notice that I was talking to my son this week and we were talking about uh, the first commandment, the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And, and what's the second one? Well, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's different when Jesus said a new commandment I give you? He says, I give you a new one to love one another as I have loved you. Well, what's that? How's that? We were told back in, back in Deuteronomy that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. So how is this a new commandment? Because Jesus took it a step further. He says, don't love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor with no thought of yourself. Take yourself out of the equation. This is what Jesus did. Jesus did not love you the way he would love himself. He placed you ahead of himself. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about just one chapter prior. He says he, he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in likeness of man, was obedient unto death, but not just any death, the most humiliating, shameful death, the death of the cross. He did that for you. We, too, need to understand that any time we choose our comfort or what people think of us or what people like when they see us over the truth, we are not showing them love. We're not. I had... Uh, <laughs> At one of my last jobs, I found myself in the stock room, and, and there was about 10 guys sitting around me. And they were just, man, they were hammering me with question after question after question. And one of the guys said, so you're telling me if you met a man who is in his 80s and he has devoted his life to Hinduism or Buddhism or something along those lines, here he is in his 80s and he is a devout, he has been sincere with this religion all of his life. You're going to tell him he's dying and going to hell? How is that loving? And I said, well, if you had a snake bite and you bit on a piece of wood, say you were chewing on birch wood because your father, who was told by his father, who was told by his father, who was told by his father that the way to take care of a snake bite is by chewing on wood, and I'm standing there watching you chew on a piece of wood trying to get this snake bite taken care of, and the whole time I'm holding in my pocket the serum, the antivenom for that snake bite, and I know chewing on that wood is not going to help you, but you're standing there chewing on that wood going, my daddy told me, and his daddy told him, and his daddy told him, and for the last several hundred years, we've been chewing on wood to take care of snake bites. Would it be loving for me to stand there and go, well, he's going to die. Hope that wood tastes good, buddy. <laughs> or would it be loving to say, you know what? Your daddy was wrong. Here's the serum. This is what's going to fix it. Oh, come on, pastor. You're going to tell someone in their 80s that they have believed a lie? If I don't, basically what I'm saying is, I don't care about you, go to hell. Which is the worst thing I can say to someone, and that would not be a loving act. That would be selfish. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. 
That's selfishness. And guess what? Their feelings have become the God of my belly. Well, well, they may not like me anymore. Their acceptance of me has just become my God. You catch where we're going with this? I want you to see that they are enemies of the cross. And then the very next part, verse 19, first four words, whose end is destruction. Destruction. I want you to note these two phrases. And if you underline, if you mark in your Bible or highlight in some way, I encourage you to highlight those two phrases. They are enemies of the cross. And their end is destruction. You're being awful mean to these people, Pastor. No, 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 no. Because we haven't gotten to the end yet. It's important for us to note it. Just as I'm standing there looking down on this person who has just been bitten by a poisonous snake, his end is destruction. He's about to die. And he thinks he's got a remedy that's not going to work. He thinks he knows the direction to go, but it's going to fail him. And then Paul says this in verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven. I told you at the beginning of this, what should our proper response be to all of this? What should our proper response be uh, uh, to a lot of these different things going on today? Should we attack? Should we fight these individuals? Or should we just ignore it? Should we join in? And some of us, we, we were happy to just bury our head in the sands and pretend it's, it, it's never there. For some, it's, I'm going to join it. Because as long as it sounds good, I'm going to do it. Here's what our attitude ought to be. Because Paul points out that we are strangers in this land. We should not feel at home. I love the old song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. But I want you to note something in all of this. Can we revisit for just a moment in our minds? If our citizenship is in the kingdom of Jesus, then so ought our attitudes and our appetites be in line with Him. What are His appetites? Truth. Christ-likeness. Godly wisdom. Justice. Mercy. Humility, not pride. Humility. As we feed on these appetites, and what we find these appetites, we find them in the Word of God over and over and over again. As we feed on these appetites with God's Word, our attitude should change. Our attitude should not be an attitude of argumentativeness. Our, our attitude should not be an attitude of hatred. Our attitude should change, should become more like Christ, compassion, Pity, sorrow, love, brokenheartedness. Look back at, cha- at verse 18 in this chapter that we're reading. We started our reading with what Paul says about these folks. Notice it. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you, weeping. 
This is not someone who sees a post on Facebook and then blasts the person hatefully. This is someone who is crying because they're enemies of the cross. And in my heart, I am broken when I see someone who has placed their hunger over God. They're following a false deity. They're following a false God. They're trying their best to do what they think is right. And it's going to lead to destruction. And my heart breaks and I weep for them. This is what Paul says that we ought to do. This is the direction he says we ought to go. I don't get mad and I spit fire on social media. I don't rip down their flags. I don't rip up their their signs and I I kick their doors down and, and I make fun of them and I insult them. No, I weep and I introduce Christ. This is what they need. Paul says, I'm telling you about these people. Not laughing. Not angry. I'm broken. Why would we think being an enemy of the cross of Christ and the end of destruction humorous? So how should my attitude be? I want you to go back with me to John. Go to the book of John. John chapter number 4. Here in John chapter 4, Jesus finds himself on purpose. I love how he told his disciples, he said, yeah, I need to go through Samaria. And like, Samaria? You done lost your mind. Those people hate us. And we hate them. He said, no, I'm going through Samaria. Because he knew someone needed him. And he finds himself talking to this woman. Asking her for a drink. And she says, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Why are you even talking to me? She brings up the issue, doesn't she? And he just kind of passes it over. And he says, if you only knew who was talking to you. If you only knew. But after he talks with her, he exposes his will. You know, you're right. You don't have a husband. The one you've, li- you've had five. The one you're living with now is not your husband. He goes down this road with her. She takes off. And she goes running into the city. And <laughs> say, come meet the man who told me everything I'd ever done. And his disciples show up. He says, well, we brought you some food. He says, I've got meat that you have no idea. Now look with me here. Verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Well, what's that got to do with this woman at the well? These Samaritans were in a day where they would have had the headdresses on. They would have probably been coming up with those white headdresses on. 
And as they're making, a multitude of people walking up the hill toward Jacob's well. Jesus points out and he says, look, the harvest. If you were to read in Luke, he says, with tears in his eyes, he says, the harvest is truly plenteous. But the laborers are too busy arguing. The laborers are too busy posting stuff on social media. The laborers are too busy trying to tear down signs. The laborers are few. Jesus had compassion on the Samaritans. Yeah. Because they needed Him. What only He could provide. The next legislation can't provide peace Christ can. The next election is not the answer. Christ is. The Supreme Court is not the deciding factor. Jesus and His Word is. Those of us who know Jesus' love, His joy, His peace, should not feel anger or hatred. We should feel pity. Going back to Philippians here. We follow after Christ. Nothing added. Nothing taken away. We don't muddy Christ by man's reasoning. You see, those of us who know Christ ought to introduce Christ. This is, this is our whole role. This is our, our responsibility. I become more like Him. I reveal Him in my life. And I introduce people to Him. You know one of the things that I'm thankful, I was talking with the deacons not too long ago. Just last week, I believe it was. And uh, pray for Brother Herb. He had his surgery this week. Pray for him. Pray for Sister Debbie. But we were talking, and I said, you know, there's a part of me that's thankful for everything that's happened recently. Well, why don't you come to church? We have a great children's ministry. Why don't you come to church? The kids are going to love it when Pastor Andy pulls out the balloons. Come to church. We got candy galore. Come to church. And people love to sing. Come to church because we've got a great meal following services and you're going to really enjoy this food. Come to church because we've got comfortable chairs. Come to church because we've got air conditioning. Not right now. Come to church. No. Come to church because we have Jesus. And I want you to meet Him. That's what we have. What they need is Jesus. So we follow Christ and we invite others to do the same. This is what Paul says in verse 17. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have for us an example. I'm following Christ. Come on. That's what he says. I'm following Jesus. Let's go.
So the question then comes, well, Paul speaking to believers here, how do I become one? You know, Paul's talking in the book of Philippians to people who are already saved. How do I get saved? I'm glad you asked. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, and with this we'll begin to wrap up. If you look at Ephesians chapter number 2, the entire chapter talks about being saved by grace and not what you do. If you look at verses 8 and 9, it kind of sums this up. It says, uh, for, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Gifts are not earned. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If you were to continue to jump down to verses 14, he says, For he, talking about Christ, is our peace, who hath made uh, both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh. Drop back, though, and let's compare two sections of this chapter, the very first and the very end. Look at verse 2. Wherein in times past... You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, look at verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. At one time, I walked according to the course of this world. But Christ came into my life. And no longer do I walk according to the course of this world. I walk according to His way. I pursue righteousness. I am no more a foreigner and a stranger. I'm a fellow citizen of the household of God. What took place in the middle of that was Jesus. Not my political stance. Not my birth. I was not born into this. Not my status socially. Not my job. Not how much money I put in the offering plate. Not how many times I checked the attendance roll at church. What took place was the grace of God. Jesus Christ. And I stopped following me and the course of this world and I chose to follow Him. What about you? What God are you following this morning? Is it the God of your belly? Is it the God that you hunger for? What do you hunger for? 
And where is your confidence found? My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, well, Pastor Andy, I, I can't let go of this over here. I can't let go of that over there. Then you have just identified your God. Well, I like Jesus, and I, I'm good to follow Jesus, but I just can't... No, I'm not going to let go of that one. You have just placed that over Him, and He will not share the throne with anything. So either I'm following Him or the course of this world. They are in opposition to one another. So, discerning citizens was the title of today's message. And the question that I would ask in all of this is, how discerning are we today? Am I following Him and His Word? Or have I muddied it with everything the world tells me that I ought to do, ought to be, ought to say? Well, that was for a different time. You know the quickest way to identify the gospel? It doesn't have a time stamp. Truth in the Word of God is truth. Yesterday, today, and forever. Because God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. What about you? Where's your confidence? What's your God this morning? And are you ready to place it in His hand? Walk away from it. Father, as we come before You in humility, hungering, Lord, for Your will and Your way, not our own, not our own desires, not our own attempts at righteousness. Father, we come before You, Lord, because You are God. We come before You in a humble manner, with great fear and reverence and awe, but at the same time, Lord, we come before You boldly and with love, knowing that we are accepted because of Your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that You would watch over this time, speak to hearts, speak to lives. Father, for the individual who does not know You, I beg You, Lord, that you would squeeze their very soul. Give them a desire to know you. For the one who claims that they know you, but they have been walking contrary to your word, I pray that you would influence their mind right now. Woo them to yourself. Father, help us to be more and more into the image of your dear Son. We pray these things in your Son's name.